The book of James is an interesting part of Scripture because it doesn't really show the same feel as the rest of Scripture. Instead, it's filled with many imperatives and commands that are talking about the Christian life instead of what Christ has done for all people. That doesn't mean it's something that we should ignore. James had in mind to encourage the believers to the high standard that God had for Christian living. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, September 9, 2012. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So today we are starting a brand new sermon series. We're going to be doing this for four weeks. So for the rest of September, we're going to be talking about an epistle of straw, which is kind of a not exciting name. We'll cover that in a second, and we'll talk about what's coming up in the future. So starting in October, though, uh, Practical Teachings of Jesus, we said that this is going to be coming. We're going to be in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to spend two months in the book of Mark talking about practical things that Jesus taught in the book of Mark, which would cover like divorce, money, uh, greatness, things like that. So we're going to be doing that in October. And also in October, the slide did not work last week, and hopefully it works this week. It does if I use it right, correctly. Uh, Here was the the concept we said of our Bible memory program. I'm pretty excited about it, maybe more excited than kids are excited about it. But um, we have these passages for the kids to memorize. We think these are good passages to learn. Maybe you're doing this at home as a parent, and that's great. We're not trying to take your job from you. We're just trying to make your job um, being the parent that God has in mind for his uh, children or your children to be a little bit easier. So you would take this home. Once the kids memorize the passage, you fill it in or you sign your name on it. And then when it's full, they can come and get their official Bible memory program. Uh, prize, which I think is movie, gift card to a movie. So I'm excited about that. I'm going to memorize the passages and uh, be able to do that. So that's coming up. So today, though, we are on an epistle of straw, and this is going to have a long introduction, and then we're going to actually get to the book of James. We're going to be spending four weeks here, and one of the difficulties that Martin Luther had with calling this an epistle of straw, that's usually not a good thing. That's like saying um, if someone, that's not a compliment. If someone said, hey, you're like a person of straw, That's not a compliment. Martin Luther did not mean this to be a compliment. Here's the issue. He was proclaiming the gospel of Christ. The only way you get to Jesus, the only way you get to heaven is by what Jesus has done. That's it. And he was proclaiming that to people who struggled with the idea that they felt like they did something along with what Jesus has done. And that's how they get to heaven. So he's very, very clear to say, this is not a great book because this book is only law law, law, all day long. It's five chapters of telling you exactly what you're supposed to do to live a Christian life. A similar example would be the book of Proverbs. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's 108 verses. Guess how many of those verses are imperatives, which is like a fancy grammar word for a command. Take a guess in your head. Of 108 verses. Not 100. 54. So literally half the book of Proverbs is in commands or imperatives. Is this a, a clear picture of how Scripture works? Like when you, some people look at that from the outside, they say, hey, all the Bible is is a bunch of rules telling you how you should live. Is this how the Bible works? Not really. And so we're going to just do a little segue as we talk about you as a parent, if you have kids or you have grandkids. Do your kids look at you? We even had this discussion, Amy and I, yesterday. Um, do your parents look at, or your kids look at you or your grandkids look at you as someone who just gives commands, like do this, don't do that? And if they do, is that a healthy situation? Personally, I don't think this is really positive. 
if your kids look at you and they think, okay, my parent is the one that just tells me what to do, not to do all the time, this is not a real positive thing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't discipline. The way I look at it like this, uh, we'll come back to that in a second. <laughs> this looks like it's from Schoolhouse Rock graphics. I don't know where I got this. It looked better somehow on my computer screen, but right now it looks really not very good. So this is the Ten Commandments, and again, they, they saved tablets and they put it on both sides apparently. So this is the Ten Commandments. If your kids only look at you like someone who just drops the law all day long, this is going to start to be oppressive. They might do the right thing, but they're not going to understand what kind of relationship you have. When I would look at it, now the graphics get better, don't they? If I'd look at it, I would hope my kids would look in the sphere of two parents that care and love, for them, uh, love them very much. And part of that relationship means there's discipline and there's commands that go with it. Does that make sense? It's really a dangerous thing if you flip-flop these and think my parents, my kids are going to understand I love them by giving a whole bunch of commands all the time. Now, just like the book of James, you can find parts in scripture that are just commands. This is how you should live. You can look at the book of Proverbs and it tells you this is how you should live. You can do that same thing probably in my life. I don't always like match and let the gospel proclaimed all the time. I'll give you an example. If you saw my kid's chore list, does, is that filled with gospel or is that filled with law? This is how you should live. That's law. It doesn't say, like, Dad loves you. Clean up your room. Mom and Dad care about you and think you're special. Take out the garbage. You know, I don't, I don't mix these up very well. It's straight, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And you can do the same thing in Scripture. Now, in the Bible, though, if we look back at this picture, in the Bible, if you just think it's God's commands and you zoom out and to get the full perspective of the main message of the Bible, which is not commands. God is not most interested in your life of following his commands. What would the picture be? I think a cross. And that's why it's so important to Christians. If you'd zoom away and see what the main message of the Bible would be, it would be a cross. Within the shadow, somewhere in the back, would be God's commands for you. Does this make some sense? Why is this such a big deal? When, we're going to spend some time in the book of James. There is not a lot of good news in the book of James. There's not a lot of talking about what Jesus has done for you in the book of James. There's not a lot of cross talk in the book of James. There's a lot of this is how you're supposed to live talk. And the only way that this can make some sense is if you constantly roll back and you remember this saying. We're saved by faith alone. We all agree with that. But saving faith is never alone. And the part we're going to be talking about in the book of James is the bottom part. We're going to be talking about what the Christian life looks like when you're connected. Ultimately, what's the biggest danger if you just talk about commands? Here's a graphic I've probably shown you before. There's a lot of graphics today. You have maybe have, right, I did screen save while I had one highlighted. That's really classy. So this is um, an illustration of talking about the danger of moralism, and this is just a quick aside, and then we're actually going to get into the book of James, okay? The danger with moralism is this. The end is the most important thing. And for example, you have a son who lies or a daughter who lies or something like that. You're saying, well, lying isn't good, so stop lying. Does this make some sense? And that does fix the behavior. You can threaten, you can do whatever. But when you look at what Scripture asks you to do, it's saying identify these problems or these sins. These really only lead to one thing, which is sin inside us. And unless you recognize that only through Christ you're forgiven, that's the only way you can be properly motivated to change your life long term. I'm seeing eyes glaze over. Maybe we should just move on. 
This happens actually in churches all the time. And it happens, and I told you this more than once in the VeggieTales videos, why I'm not a huge fan of the VeggieTales. Maybe you love the VeggieTales. The VeggieTales do this. They talk about, um, these aren't good examples. It talks about lying. Lying is not good. And then they show a situation where it's not good, like someone loses something or like that. And then the final result is, so don't lie. That's just moralizing because you've taken out the motivation of recognizing your own sinfulness, what Christ has done, and that's how your life changes. Does that make sense? So if you're doing this to your own kid, you should step back and say to your grandkids, if I'm teaching my kids, just stop this behavior and fix it, you're really kind of missing the main motivation. And really you're focusing on the commands rather than stepping back and letting your kids see how much they love and you care about them. Okay, we could just stop there, but we won't. So we're in the book of James, and um, that doesn't mean there's no good news in the book of James. There's just not much. So this is in the book of James. You can follow along in your service folder if you like. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So all he's saying is keep in mind everything you've got to live and breathe and function comes from God. Not only that, he chose you to give birth through the word of truth. So God chose you so that you might be a kind of first fruits. And all, we're going to speed through some of this a little bit quickly. Um, all he's saying is you're important to God. You're like a first fruit. That's a special thing. And how did God choose you? If God had a kickball team, you'd be on it. That's what he's saying. If God had like a giant cosmic refrigerator, you'd be on it. If God actually wore like a locket, you'd be in it. So he's saying God has chose you. And how did God choose you? Through his word. Now, that could mean you could just lay around and do nothing, but in fact, quite the contrary. We're going to spend some time in the book of James to say now that you have this relationship with God, there's a lifestyle that goes with it. So again, not a lot of good news in the book of James just telling you how to live. He says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We could talk all day on the other one, and we will talk all day in two weeks, talking about your tongue and how you use it. That's James chapter 3. But we're going to spend mostly on slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. So think in your head, do I have issues with being angry or being quick to become angry? Not me personally. Do you personally have that? And what's the big deal about being angry? I think anger is like a gateway. There's like gateway drugs. They say you've got to be careful. If you start smoking, there's a way higher chance that you're going to start smoking marijuana. Does marijuana ruin your life? I suppose it could. But the chance of you going from smoking cigarettes to marijuana to other drugs, they call it gateway drugs. That's why they call that. I think anger is one of these gateway sins. Because you ever find yourself at the heat of anger? You get upset about something, and you're willing to do or say things that you normally would not. And did these just pop out of nowhere? Or did this, all that anger really does is kind of open up and give the world a, a clue what's inside your heart? And I'll give you my own example. So anger is a dangerous thing because you're willing, at the height of the moment, and you know you shouldn't say it, you know you shouldn't do it, but you say, I'm going to do it anyway because I don't care. Take that. And you feel good for like a split second, and you're like, I can't believe I didn't put on some kind of filter. This doesn't mean like evil just produces out of nowhere. That just means what anger does is open up so the world can see what's really in your heart. I'll give you an example, and I've shared this story with you before. 
So I'm going down um, 441. I remember it fairly vividly. This is almost 20 years ago. I'm driving to go visit Amy, I think, because that's the only reason I'd be on that road. So I'm going to visit my probably girlfriend at the time or fiance. And we've gone through the whole gamut. So we're driving along. This guy's driving next to me. And I've told you this before. I'm driving along. And he, you know, I'm barely paying attention because there's like concrete walls and it's just going around the city. So you just kind of like this, listen to the radio. This guy's beside me, uh, beside me, and suddenly he hits his brakes hard. And what would you do if someone behind you hit the brakes hard? I hit the brakes because I thought there must be like a deer, there must be a human being or something on the highway. So I just hit my brakes, I covered it, and I thought, okay, no danger, we're good to go. I thought there's something in the road. Well, the guy was apparently trying to get the exit which was right there. So he thought, apparently, I was trying to cut him off so he couldn't get his exit, which is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I I mean, this is in hindsight. 30 seconds before this incident, only in theory did I understand road rage. I thought, how can people get so angry? I'm driving along, this guy goes down, he goes down the ramp, and I can still see this vividly, and he gives me double middle fingers, double, with pumps, the whole way down. He's not touching his steering wheel. He's just doing this to me while we drive down the road. I'm not an angry guy. I seriously contemplated. This was a rational thought in my head. I was going to go, I'm driving along, I was going to go down the on-ramp, like where cars go. Like, this is a major ticket going on. It's like like people would call in. I was going to go down the on-ramp and chase this guy down. I mean, this, was, this is why they don't allow guns on domesticated vehicles. This is a reason why, because why? What does anger do? Anger just lets the world see what's in your heart. And it lets you see, it lets the world see what normally you have the ability to filter. So James says to you, as a Christian, you've got to be very careful about exposing this world to anger, becoming angry because it lets this stuff come through. So here's his advice. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we'll cover each of this in a little bit. Can you imagine trying to get rid of all moral filth in your life? Like just the culture we live in? How many movies could you watch? The Princess Bride and... I don't even know if you could watch Bambi. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. So there isn't much you could watch. So you'd have to cut up movies. How many books could you read? Not, not too many. Little engine that could, Maybe. I mean, not a lot of options, so you could read like two books, there's like one movie you could watch, you could, um, there's not a lot of magazine articles, you probably couldn't even listen to the radio. Is it possible to get rid of all moral filth? Not really. Here's the worst part, though. Even harder than trying to get it outside of the world is trying to get rid of the filth that's inside you, right? I mean, just think of the, the thoughts that are rattling around in your brain. How do you do that? or the schemes that you've come up with, or what your heart longs to do. The, the picture that they have here is the picture of like filthy clothes. That's literally what it's talking about. So it's saying you are covered. There's this filthy clothes that are on you. Um, like I went to my great uncle's pig farm, and hopefully, did anyone raise pigs? All right. Um, all right, I just got to finish the story with apologies. So sorry, we go to my uncle's pig farm, Great uncle's pig farm. My dad was excited. Uncle Leroy. Isn't it classic? I mean, his name would be Leroy, too. So we go to Uncle Leroy's. Our, we drive there in our station wagon, which is one of these uh, Chevy Impala. So it's like here to the curtain. That's how long our station wagon was. There's seven people packed in it. And I've already told you what it's like to be with my little brother facing the wrong direction. It's called like the car sick seat. 
you just be like this. You have no idea where the things are going. And we get there. It's a hot day. Our clothes were infected with the smell of these pigs. This was not a clean pig farm, I don't think. Our car smelled like pigs for like a month. Just being on the premises for a short duration. We didn't eat there or anything like that. We just were there. And we got to my grandma's house, and my mom's like, put them in a bag. So all the clothes went into a sack. We sealed it up until we got back home. This is the picture, really, that it's talking about in Scripture here. He's saying you, the moral filth that's not only inside you is like these dirty clothes. And he's saying, you've got to get rid of these things. You've got to get rid of these things. Because this affects your life. And instead, what should we focus on? Accept the word that's planted in you. The official story that I was trying to explain to the kids is this. There's a Native American chief. This is told by Harold Kushner, but here's what he said. Inside me, there are two dogs. One of the dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. The mean dog fights the good dog all the time. And you can picture this, right? This battle inside each of us is a new person and an old person and a new person. They're battling all the time. How do I live my life? And then when they asked which dog wins... He reflected for a moment, and do you know how this ends, of course? The one I feed the most. And as a believer, you're never going to fully get rid of the filthy clothes that have infected you from birth. You're never going to get rid of those. But can you determine how much you feed them? And when he talks about the filth in the world, really, that's just like a gateway to feed the evilness inside you, to, to feed that so it becomes a bigger part of your life. Or he's saying, here's a better idea. Inside you is planted God's word. Inside you is a good person, a new self that God has planted there that desires to do God's will. And you can either feed that or you can feed your old self. It's up to you. And when he gives advice, James is saying, tell you what, I'd feed the good part. Um, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You ever find yourself as a Christian, and this is really what the book of James is about, hearing what you should do and, and liking it. You're saying, this is a good idea. Um, we talk about being generous with your offerings. You say, yes, I love it. Um, we talk about not lying and being kind to your spouse, and you say, this is a good idea. You, we talk about, um, even today, trying to feed the good self and things like that. Do you ever find yourself telling people, well, you've got to spend more time in prayer, or you've got to spend more time in your Bible study, but then you find that you're actually not doing it yourself? Have you ever sat your kids down to talk about, like, not lying or not uh, being kind to people and not talking bad about other people, and then like 10 minutes later you're doing the same thing yourself? The, the problem and the difficulty being a Christian with the high demands and the high, God demands perfection is you're always going to suffer with being a hypocrite. If you're part of like the walking club, you're not going to be a hypocrite because there, there's no special techniques about walking. There's no special, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but if you're part of like an Ironman, so someone from church can't be here today, they're volunteering at an Ironman triathlon, which is this ridiculous length of running a marathon, biking 112 miles, I think, and swimming farther than I ever want to swim. So this, actually all those are farther than anything I want to do. Do you think there's hypocrites within the Ironman world? Oh, all day long. Because anytime you're part of something that demands dis sharp discipline, demands high things, that demands all these things, you are naturally going to be a hypocrite. So does Christianity fit in the world of just hanging out, or does Christianity fit something closer to an Iron Man? It's closer to an Iron Man. The demands that God puts on you are huge. 
And with that, you're naturally going to be a hypocrite. So whether you're tired, whether you're apathetic, whether you're scared, doesn't really matter because all these behavior, these hypocritical behaviors, you could call them sin. And what James is writing to, the people James is writing to, is they struggled with actually doing what God's Word says. They like the concept of it, just like we do. But he's saying, now when you leave these doors, I expect you to do something different. And so he says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not know what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, immediately uh, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's the Bible that we're talking about, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And we're going to cover that last part in a second. Can you imagine if Jesus was just a, a person who talked the talk and didn't really walk the walk? What if God said, hey, I want you to be born of a virgin? He's like, you got it. Um, I want you to be, suffer and die. I want you to live a perfect substitutionary life. I want you to um, die on the cross and then rise again. He's like, hey, that sounds good, but you know, really, I've got different plans. What kind of Savior do we have? Do we have one that just talks the talk, or do we have one that said, God, I am perfectly um, going to follow your will. I will live perfectly in these people's place. I will die in their place. I will suffer in their place so that they can live. We have a Savior who said, I'm going to go all in for you. We have a Savior that said, I'm totally committed to you. We have a Savior who walks the walk. And he's asking you to do the same. And how do you do that? How do you change bad habits? You're not going to do it by staring at a book of James. You're not going to do it by looking at the book of Proverbs and just get all pumped up about following God's law. The only way that you can really change is by changing the inside. And the only way you can do that is step back and remember what's the picture of the message of the Bible. It's not God's law. It's God's love, which we see in the cross. And only in the cross can you see how big God's heart is. And only in the cross can you see how God cares for you. And only in the cross can you see what God has done for you that changes you to say, I want to follow and live a life like God commanded. That's the only way. So we're going to spend three weeks three more weeks, talking about what God intends for you. And naturally, as you feed that good part of you, as you feed the inner self that wants to, um, like Christ has planted there, that knows what Christ has done, what's the world going to start to see? Just like your anger exposed the evilness inside you, really, the love as you learn more about, more about Christ and you start to live his life, the world's going to see what's really inside you. The world's going to see how you care about people, how you care about them, how you care about your spouse, how you care about, as he even gives an example, the religion that our God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans, widows, and their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So which dog is going to win? The one you feed the most. Slow to become angry and instead quick to listen to God's word which he has planted in your heart. Amen.